0: I'm Keith Dent from Black Men Speak, a podcast that highlights ordinary black men doing extraordinary things. Tonight, we have one such man. His name is Herb Smith. Twenty years ago, he was the first black man hired by the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra and until this day is still the only African-American member. We're going to discuss how his first and only night in jail led to a way
1: to help the youth of Rochester. Letter in the mail, which I keep up on my wall right here. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, letter in on the, on the mail. There's a warrant out for my arrest. I need to come in to uh, turn myself in. So now once I went in for the arraignment before court, because they move you from the cells into the holding cell right near the courtroom, then it was like 20 or more of us in this one jail cell. Mm. And it was all, I was the oldest one there. They were all black men. And the thing that really impressed me was just how well they knew the system and how smart they were to figure out next steps. Why he felt it was necessary. There are gangs in the city of Rochester. There are definite gangs in the city of Rochester. And these kids, they're just looking for a community. That's really what they're looking for. They're looking for community. They're looking for fellowship. And so that's what we give them. And we even talk about who was on the Mount Rushmore of trumpet players. The Mount Rushmore of trumpet players would be Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis, Clifford Brown, would he be on there? Yeah, now, <laughs> Maybe. I, yeah, okay. I, I mean, Clifford Brown, definitely. But I think, like, Lewis, Miles, and... Um, oh, you just remember? Dizzy Gillespie. Oh, right. Of course. Right? Lewis, Miles, Dizzy. And then it might be Clifford Brown, or it might be Freddie Hubbard. Because now we're getting into, like, anything... Well, 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 like anything... As time goes, then you start to see more of it. On that note, let's start the show.
0: Herb, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: So let's get to it. A night in jail. Now, I want you to describe that night. And how did it feel to be kind of deprived of your, I guess, your freedom for that one
1: day? well it's a trip because it was one night you know and and i do feel for people that are in jail for a year or you know or months you know it was just the one night for me and i'm thankful for that but yeah it was it was a trip because it was all based on a lie it was all based on a lie it had to do with a parking space um, mm-hmm. near, near this restaurant <clears throat> that I go to, a Jamaican restaurant, Black-owned place, and it was this guy who owned a parking lot near that place, and what would happen is when people go to get their food, they would inevitably park in his parking lot, and he was not so happy about that. He wanted people to pay for it. So instead of, like, coming to the, to the you know, to the restaurant and kind of making a deal or something like that, it was more about do not park in my parking lot. And if you do, I will call the police. And then on top of that, when cars were parked in a space that had a meter, I believe he would s- sit over in his office with with <laughs> binoculars, read the meter was expired, and then call the police on people. So every now and again, you would hear uh, Marlene, the owner of the place, say, Parking Bureau was out there. Does everyone, you know, I have quarters, you know, people would leave, get up from their places, from their food and pay their meters because this guy had called the police on them. So one day I parked over there and I saw him and I went over there and just spoke to him. I was just like, why are you, you know, why are you harassing the people like that? And he got really angry with me. And, and for me, I definitely had the awareness, like, because there's cameras, you know, around the city and stuff. I just had this awareness, like, I do not want to be the big black man. I'm 6'4", oh. and he is, you know, five-something, older white man. And I did not want to be on the camera pointing my finger down at this man, like, causing some scene. So I purposefully put my hands behind my back. And I was speaking to him uh, in low tones. and at that moment the police came by and they stopped and he started talking he's harassing me, he's harassing me. He was doing all this all these you know theoretics and stuff and and I was just playing it cool. And the police actually said to me, because I parked in his lot and I didn't know at this point, he has two lots. I didn't know oh, he had two lots. Okay. I parked in his lot, not knowing it was his, not, his lot. And I said to the policeman, you know what? Let me move my car and then I'm going to gonna go get my food. And the policeman said, no, I want you to leave your car right where it is and go get your food because we're seeing your demeanor. We're seeing how calm you are. And this guy is upset. So, you know, so they were basically totally on my side, seeing where I was coming, seeing my point of of view of this situation. I go get my food. I come out. And then the policeman says, this guy wants to press charges against you. And she, this policeman, uh, policewoman was like, basically, I'm a witness for you because I've seen how you've handled yourself here. And uh, so they took my information, whatever, and then, you know, fast forward to like a month later or so, I get this letter in the mail, which I keep up on my wall right here. Oh, OK. Um, yeah. Letter on the, on the mail. I there's a warrant out for my arrest. I need to come in to uh, turn myself in. So I just kind of thought I would call up my friend who's a lawyer and ask him, you know, what's going on with this? So he looked it up, and he said, this warrant is a warrant for your arrest without bail. No bail.
0: Oh, Oh, they could do that.
1: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, they can and did. And he said, and he was, like, calling people. He was trying to see what he could do, and there was nothing he could do. So basically, because I was going to just go in, like, you know, around noon or so and just turn myself in and then get the little slip that you get and then and then go to court. Um, And he said, do not do that. Turn yourself in at midnight. Turn yourself in at midnight so that you you because you're going to have to go to jail and then so you'll spend the night. And then we'll arraign you in the morning and and uh, it ended up once everything was said and done. They got the uh, body cams from the police. They interviewed the police. They threw out the charges because completely threw out the charges. And the funny thing about it was it was like one of those scenes in a a police show in the courtroom when they say, you know, they knock on the thing and say, charges dismissed. And then the person is like, that's a travesty. You know, he was yelling and stuff in, oh, in the courtroom. Wow. Yes, he was yelling and they and the and the court uh the judge basically said, "Bailiff, take him out." So they basically grabbed him and took him out of the courtroom. Um so it was it was a trip, but it was so moving for me. Um that whole night that I was in jail was moving for me because every Person that I came in contact with, other than the policemen, were black males. Mm. Everyone was and, black.
0: Males. Yeah, and and that, so roughly, how many black males were uh, actually in there with you at the time?
1: So, so the night at at night, when they brought me in, they brought me into a cell, and at first I was there. It was just like three of us in the cell, and then as the night went on, there were like seven of us in there now the other cells in there in this building where I was they had a few guys in there all black now once I went in for the arraignment before court because they move you from the cells into the holding cell right mm-hmm. near the courtroom then it was like 20 or more of us in this one jail cell mm-hmm. and it was all I was the oldest one there they were all black men and the thing that really impressed me was just how well they knew the system and how smart they were to figure out next steps. So one guy was like, hey, so what you in here for? And he was talking to one of the other men in there. And a the guy was like, I'm here for blah, blah. And he says, well, how many times have you been here? And then he would tell them and he says, OK, who's your judge? okay oh you got this judge you're fine all you have to do is do this this and this okay what time you know what about you oh this is your third time who's your lawyer Mm -hmm. okay you got him okay tell your lawyer this boom 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 i mean it was like and everyone in there was just just giving all these things i was the i was the most confused person in there because (laughs) my lawyer just said we're gonna sign we're gonna put you in at midnight and then we'll get you out in the morning and you know they're moving me places. They are you know, take your phone, take your stuff off, you know everything. And I was just like, I just hope my lawyer knows where I am. And then you know they call my name, and then you come out, and then okay, so now I'm in court. You know I come out of the cell and I'm in court, and then I see my lawyer there, and I was like, okay, good, my lawyer's here, that's good. And um, and then they got me out, and then uh, after that I went back and it was dismissed.
0: Okay, wow. And I know that had to be, definitely had to be a little just unsettling, really not knowing the process, but also and it, it's weird to say relieving that there were people or men there that knew the system well enough to guide you to um, the right way, at least till you got to the point where you could see your lawyer right. uh, in person. It was like, definitely
1: disconcerting, though, man, because, you know, I'm in jail. I'm upset because of the whole reason why I'm there. I knew that it was totally trumped up charges. You know, this guy was making this making this up. You know, there were there were witnesses that saw that he was not telling the truth, you know. And and I was doing a, a it was doing a number of my head because. I'm just like feeling like he's at home, like, yeah, I just put Herb in jail, you know, Mm. I'm feeling like that. And I'm trying to keep myself together, you know, so I do a little bit of meditation. I do yoga I was trying to do stuff like that in the cell to just keep me cool, keep me calm, keep me settled, keep me focused, you know, so I didn't come out of there just being angry, you know, about the whole thing. You know, but I got through it, great,
0: great, but then out of out of that, you decided to create an organization for young black men called herb City trumpets. So right. what made you decide to start that organization? because um, that's pr- very niche specific as opposed to another like social service agency,
1: right. Well, I really do feel like, first of all, seeing those men in there, I kept thinking, what's the difference? How come I never, I was never here, but these guys are here. What was the difference? What was the, you know, what did I get that I didn't end up there? You know, and, and I always want to help, you know, you always want to help people around you and but I'm not a congressman you know I am I'm not a I don't deal with laws I'm you know I'm not going to go out and I mean sure I'll hold a sign or that's not really my thing I'm a musician you know I'm a musician I write music conduct play teach and I was just like what can I do from my experience from my milieu if you say right to help you know i'm not going to organize a rally you know but and i thought music really saved me music really helped me you know there were many times where i was angry upset you know frustrated but the trumpet was always there for me and it was this it was this thing where if I put work into it, it repaid me. It was just a direct thing. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you put work in, you get the pro- product immediately. Okay. And that really helped me. That really helped me. It's kind of like I love to, uh, like if I have to paint a wall, you know, paint a, a room. When you paint a room and you're done, it's like instant gratification. Right. Boom. You know, it's done. It's beautiful. You know, and and so that's what trumpet is you work on it you work and then that sound starts to come out so i was like well what can i do and at that point i didn't know what i what i could do i just was like putting it up to the universe like i want to do something to help and i want to do it through music mm-hmm. and um and then this grant came around called my brother's keeper which is a grant um through uh i think, uh, Obama.
0: Yeah. Shout out to President Obama. For
1: yeah. Shout out for that to President Obama yes. that organization. Yes. And there was a round of grants going on in Rochester. And a friend of mine who is part of the city of Rochester, we were just talking about, man, we should do something. And it was like, let's put together some trumpet players. Let's see if we can, you know, start like a mentoring program. They do it for violin. Like you've heard about different violin programs. just the El Sistema program that um, uh, Dudamel from right. a Los Angeles Philharmonic mm. um, leads. And they have different satellites all over the country, all over the world. Right. Okay. Yeah. And I was, like, I was like, we can do this for trumpet. And that was it. And then we just started putting it together. We started mapping out how we were going to do it. Looking for grants, funding And um, Next thing you know, I called my trumpet company Told them about it They're sponsoring us Each student that comes in the program Gets a brand new trumpet So that's it's fin- fantastic Yeah, that's fantastic Yeah, it's, So I did a little workshop And I'm playing trumpet And I'm telling these kids, I want to teach you To play trumpet And they're like, well, I don't have a trumpet I'm like, you join the program, I got you I got this trumpet You know, it's like you have no excuse not to do this, you know, and And, and did
0: they leap at the chance once they knew that that expense was going to be taken care of,
1: Leapt, leapt at the chance and the parents, too, because the parents are thinking, how am I going to afford this? How am I going to do this? You know, so it really took off the program. Right now we have about 15 kids and. And more are ticking in slowly as we go here. And it is a really fantastic program. Um, the schedule for the program is I teach individual lessons on Mondays and Tuesdays. I have another person that's going to be teaching as well. He's a young Black trumpet player who goes to the Eastman School of Music. And, uh, and then on Fridays, we have something called the Roundtable Discussions. And what that is, is I bring all the students together and we play together like in a trumpet ensemble. So I have them playing different things. And now these kids are just starting. So this trumpet ensemble is in its infantile state. Yeah, okay. <laughs> uh, but it's, it is coming along quite quite rapidly. And, and I just talk to them about stuff. Just Just bring up different topics. Um, Mm -hmm. and, uh, and it's really starting to be like a family. And then we top the evening off with a meal.
0: That's great. What's, what is the state kind of of the youth population in, in Rochester? What are some of the issues that are, that are, um, I guess, prevalent in the city?
1: There are gangs in the city of Rochester. There are definite gangs in the city of Rochester and these kids. They're just looking for a community. That's really what they're looking for. They're looking for community. They're looking for fellowship. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we give them. We have the group of 12, 15 kids coming in there every Friday. And it's a hang. You know, we're, we're just hanging. We're playing trumpet. I have each one play for each other. So they get up in front of the group. They have to introduce themselves and then tell what they're playing. You know, hello, my name is Taijan and I'm playing Hot Cross Buns, <laughs> you know, yeah, and um, and they play it. And so it is it has really proven to be a a wonderful, like really surprised me at how well people took to it. Like it really has. Uh, in two cases. I have brothers playing. So I have both brothers in the family playing Ooh, trumpet. Okay, um, and then in two other cases, I had the kid play, and then the parent was like, "Well, can I learn to play as well?" I said, "Yeah." As my, matter of fact, come on, like I can't give you one of my new trumpets, but I, you know, I have a bunch of old ones here, and I, right, I, I got enough people I can call. Say, "Hey, you got an old trumpet? You know, you want to get rid of?" And and so that's what happened. I have. Two parents playing along with us, and, and
0: my parents, these are are these dads or dad mom?
1: I have a dad and a mom, okay, a dad in one family and a mom in another family. Oh, okay, and they have been telling me just how much it's bringing the family together. In one case, the one student couldn't play the part, and the mom was like, Hold on a second, I can play that, and she played it. <laughs> you know, I was like okay here you know this is good
0: right. that's you know, great
1: because she was like I always wanted to learn how to play a horn I didn't have a music program in my school so it's just really fantastic yeah
0: wow so she had always had a passion but yeah, just because did. it, they didn't have act she didn't have access but she still that still stayed alive that's great
1: yeah I know it's it's really it really blows my mind at how the program has just taken off
0: Great. So, th- yeah, those are some of the surprises. And what has been some of the uh, the frustrations of running the program?
1: When you're dealing with with city and monies and things like that. So, like we had a funding, and we're trying to figure out how. Basically, trying to figure out how we can pay for it before we get the money is kind of what it is. Like it's this whole thing where like. We're gonna give you X amount of dollars. Right. But we're not it's gonna come to, in. <laughs> right. We're gonna and it's not gonna give it to you until like 30 days. But you need to start your program now. <laughs> and it's like, uh, wait a second here. You know, we need the money now so we can start it. But uh we figured that out. We figured all that stuff out. Um one of the issues that we have are some of the instruments, um, which actually turned into a a plus, there was a situation where a student got his mouthpiece stuck in the bell of the trumpet. Oh, wow. I know
0: okay, that. Oh. so yeah, right, yeah. the mouthpiece on <laughs>
1: the other side, right? And in so doing, tried to tap the bell that's on the table so it would come out and folded the bell. Oof completely full of the bell, brand new trumpet, right? So the mom called me and said, I'm taking him out the program. I'm taking him out the program. You know, I can't keep nice stuff, you know, always breaking stuff. And I said, do not take him out the program. This is a teaching moment. This is a teaching moment. So what we ended up doing, I said, bring the horn to the Friday session, bring the horn. So they brought the horn in, showed it to everyone in the class. People were like, oh, man, oh, wow. You know, kind of like, I mean, the horn was really, really broken up. And and I told them, I said, I expect there to be some bumps, some dings. Really? I expect that. I mean, I'm giving you these horns, and I know that's going to happen. I said, but when something happens, it is for you to take responsibility for it. Don't try to fix it. Don't try to make it better. Just come to me and say, this is what I've done. I says, I can fix the horn. That's not a problem. But when you try to fix it, now you are making it worse. Mm. And I just showed everyone, showed everyone the horn, you know, and I, I put up on my phone the price of the horns, the horns on on Amazon are going for twelve hundred dollars. actually. And so so I said to them, I am entrusting you all with twelve hundred dollars right now. I just put twelve hundred dollars in your pocket. I said, you have to take care of that. There's no excuses. If your sister knocks it, if your brother kicked it. If the dog bit it, it doesn't matter. Right. You are responsible, responsible for it.
0: Yeah, it's a and, great teaching moment because you know, it just it talks it, about accountability and yes. um, and my wife and I talk about it a lot. If you would, we need to do more of. If we raise the expectations of our kids to do, they will rise to the expectations. But we That's have correct. to set those expect, expectations, and we don't do enough of that. And I think therein there and lies some of the issues that we have, uh, with our yes. kids, yeah. So, yes. so yeah. So, I wanted to switch gears a little bit, a little bit on a sure. kind of a personal, personal note, um, because I know that uh, church and Christianity played a very instrumental role in your upbringing. But I know that you had had a recent tragedy, you know, with the loss of your wife to cancer, um, and you know my uh, condolences for that uh cuz i know it was a very stressful period uh for you but so my i really wanted to to know you know what was the not necessarily the impact but where are you now with you say your your spirituality and how has it changed uh, as a result
1: well the i was in a church and the church was actually run by my father-in-law my wife's Father. And so, you know, I was in it to win it, you know, like that's my, you know, I love my wife, you know, we were with him. It was a, a church family, you know, I was from Cincinnati. I came to Rochester. So I kind of walked into this family, you know, it was really great. And then it really ended up turning into a cult, is what happened. So it didn't, it didn't
0: start out that way.
1: It did not start out that way. And it's a really interesting situation to find yourself in a cult. I mean, like most people are like, oh, man, i would never get in a cult. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I understand that. But it's not like I joined like, hey, I'm going to join a cult today. Like (laughs) it just kind of ended up slowly metamorphosing into this. And it took me a while to realize what it was. Breaking out of the cult was one of the hardest things that I've done in my life because these were this was my family right you know this was my wife this was my father in law cousins aunties nephews nieces everything and breaking out of that really the 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 cult was really about spirituality it was based in christianity and it was going a little bit deeper into Spirituality, and then other type of other types of religions, mm. like um, a little bit of Buddhism, a little bit of um, Hinduism, and we would read things like the uh, Mahabharata and different books okay. that we would read. And to me, breaking out of the cult is what set my spirituality, because it was like I'm going on my own, a man connected to God, mm-hmm. as we all are. We are all right. connected to God. There's no middleman. There's no person who hears God and tells you what to do. It's right. it's that voice is within you. And the more I started to trust that voice within, and I started to hear it more and learn and move from that place. And that has brought me to where I am today, to be able to start something like Herb City Trumpets, to go forward and push the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra to play at a Black Lives Matter rally. Mm. You know, it's like that spirituality um, is what is what has been moving me forward. But I, it started, in Baptist Church, Cincinnati, Ohio, Reverend Fred Shuttlesworth, Greater New Light Baptist Church. Wow. That's where it okay. started. Yeah.
0: Oh, Fred Shuttlesworth,
1: yeah, yeah, I know that. He marched with Martin Luther King. That's right. All that stuff. And uh it started with him, you know. And uh, and I think just when I look back, I was always trying to search. And go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into spirituality and into that connection. And um, and I when I think back to the cult, I think I needed that in, in in weird ways. I needed that. I would not be here today if I Ooh. hadn't gone through that. I would not be here today if I hadn't gone through that. People are like, Do you regret all that time you spent there? And it's like, well, you know. It was a lot of time, you know, and I have definitely thought about that. But how long? Year, how long was it? I was I was I was in. Overall, it was 20 years. Oh, well, 20 years. OK. Overall in, in the shift years. to the cult. The took shift, how long? Yeah. The shift to cult was maybe like the last. Seven, eight years or eight so. Eight years. And kinda. it's still
0: operating today.
1: It is. Uh, it has dwindled. I believe that it's probably not It's once. I left. I was like, I can't, as you say, break the seal. You know, I was the one that broke the seal. Okay. And I was, you know, it's, it, it's, and when I say it was tough, it was so tough because on Thursday, my cousins, my best friend, my wife, my father-in-law, we were friends. You know, everything was, you know, together on Friday no one would talk to me. I was just completely shut out.
0: And even your wife, even your wife,
1: even my wife. She she, you know, I still lived with her. I still supported her because I felt like that was what I, you know, I that was my vow to her. Right. You know, but um, no, I would take care of her and wow. You know, and they were just they wouldn't even look at me. Wow. But it's those times, those types of things that that test you, that make you stronger. And I would not be here today without those experiences.
0: Okay. so so then this is probably a a minor thing compared to, you know, losing your family. But. With uh, with RPO, you're one or if the only person of color. In the orchestra, what has your experience been like there? And what are some? And I know you you talked about how you were able to challenge them to play at a Black Lives Matter rally. So yeah, I'd love to hear that part because I know there were some challenges around um, first, second chair, uh, you know, auditioning for first chair, and those kind of things. Which I was fascinated by because I know when we're in high school, you just you you know you audition or challenge and if you lose you lose (laughs) you know (laughs) not where you know you are you're almost given this position uh and you don't lose it you only lose it for a specific reason so yeah i'd love to hear more about that
1: yeah so i am the only black musician in the rochester Philharmonic orchestra and i have been the only black musician in the orchestra since I've been there. And wow. the long, how long has that you know, been? It's been it's been 20 years. it It's years. been over twenty years, twenty five oh, amazing. So, yeah. And um so it is a it's a real trip because I have I have definitely seen like some students come in like from Eastman that were like kind of subs black come in and sub and then move on or do something else. But the orchestra has never really tried to get any new black players. There is a real interesting thing about just like the skill level that it takes to be into be in an orchestra and having actual black applicants, you know, that will come in. Um, but I always said like companies need to reflect their their surroundings. you know the, the, the Rochester Rochester City is 30 percent black. So the orchestra, oh is it okay the orchestra, should, the orchestra should reflect that. you know they should reflect that. And I know right now they are working actually to make this better, especially in this day and age, you know right. like right now everyone's trying to diversify, which I think is fantastic. I just really think it's fantastic. But yeah, I I was the first full-time hire musician in the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra, the first in the history Ooh. of the, the orchestra has been going for 100 years. So yeah, so it's been a trip. And I honestly have not had a lot of issues with racism amongst my colleagues in the orchestra. I have not because a lot of people want to, like, well, I know how was it? Was it I'm like, nope, I really did not have well, a lot yeah, of problems. Because it's
0: about talent. Yeah. You, when you're right. talented, that outweighs or trumps. Well, it should. I can't say that. Right, always right, happens, right. But, uh, it in, should. This,
1: in this situation, yes, it did. I mean, I just didn't have any problems. I just remember one time where there was this older horn player and at that time, I mean, this is years ago. This is probably, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm probably like 15 years ago. And at that time, he was like probably 80 or almost 80. So he was an older band. And we were talking about, he used to play in the Chicago Symphony. So he was talking about he used to go down and listen to colored bands play <laughs> in the South Side. And I was just, I was kind of shocked me like, did he just say colored man? Like I haven't heard <laughs> hadn't heard that word in so long. But I mean it was just kind of like, you know, he's an 80-year-old man at this right. point. I'm not trying to like, you know, make a big stink about it. But I really have had not had any problems. But when I did we had there was a I mean this was in the height of the pandemic and they were doing Black Lives Rally Matters right after um George Floyd and things like that. Daniel Prude, Mm -hmm, The deaths of These Black Men. And so there was this Black Lives Matter rally, and I wanted to have the Rochester Philharmonic play Aaron Copeland's Fanfare for the Common Man at one of these rallies. That piece really does talk about playing. It was written for the common man, Mm -hmm. for people, for everyone. And I ran into some difficulty with that. People were nervous; they didn't want to go mm. down to the city, you know. You know, oh, oh, COVID. You know, I feel feel like people were trying to use COVID as a reason right. to not do it. I mean, and I pushed and pushed, and then I got the the CEO on board, and he's he actually he's a good man, Kurt. He's right. a good man. And, and so, what? Him.
0: And what was that like? So, because I would think. And I don't know. You can you can help me with that. Most probably people of color probably had never been to the Rochester Philharmonic Orchestra or even heard you, you heard you play. So how, what was it like? What was the response like when you guys did pl- end up playing?
1: It was fantastic. the re- The response was really fantastic. Um, I actually conduct as well. Okay. So I conducted the piece. Oh, you conducted. Oh, that's great. Yeah. I conducted the piece and then I spoke a little bit beforehand to just set the piece up because that was one of the things I knew. Like just coming in there, playing a piece, I wouldn't have people it. aren't going to know what it's for. Like, why are you playing this classical piece for us? You know, mm-hmm. and I just kind of gave them a little bit of a background on why the piece was written you know it was written back when uh, the vice president under Roosevelt gave a speech about how basically how the the rich were taking advantage of common man you know he was a very good orator and he talked about the common man and that the common man is where we need to start and those that's what we need to bring up. And, and that's where Aaron Copeland got the impetus to write this piece, Fanfare for the Common Man. And I thought that was the perfect sentiment for a Black Lives Matter rally. So I gave a little bit of a speech about that, oh. talked about that, and talked about how, you know, as a black man, I don't feel like the common man. I'm We're less than the common man a lot of times. You know, I talked about that. And so basically we're gonna play this piece common man to let's get us up first of all. Let's get us up to the common man. You know, let's get the black people to be the common man. Let's get that first, you know, and then we can go higher than that. Fanfare for the common man. Then we played the piece. And the people loved it. Loved it so much that they wanted us to play it again. We played it twice. Oh, great. Yeah, we played it once. They were clapping. They were like, do you have anything else? Or can you play it again? I was like, let's play it again. So we played it twice. Nice. Yeah, It was really nice. a really good movement. And from that point, the Rochester Philharmonic, and I'm on the um, the orchestra committee, and I'm on different committees, where now the orchestra is partnering with different organizations. Like we partnered with you know this black box theater that's right down in the city of Rochester. We're looking at partnering with city schools. We're, you know we're we're actually trying to to do something. I, and I kept saying the Rochester Philharmonic. It's really about the suburbs of Rochester Philharmonic. You know, it's not the Rochester. Yeah. Right. Oh, thank you, Herb, right. for a wonderful you discussion. Know? And so that's one of the things. That along with if my you Herb want to City trumpets, or Support. You know, I'm Herb also Herb working city trumpets, to try to go to diversify www. And get this orchestra in, doc in place where you know org. it's really that's R O C music. It's people dot org. It's serving the city. They sing. definitely could use your support. Great.
0: So on a, on a little bit so of more of a lighter more note, because um, I know it's an you're area not just and beyond. but you're a big jazz. You have your Black own speak, ensemble. Was written, and then reggae, and I heard, uh, as well. So me, Keith Dent. I wanted to ask you, who's your so favorite please share and artist, subscribe
1: to wherever you get your favorite podcasts. what
0: is your favorite song? I'd really
1: like. appreciate it. Well, um, I heard you talk about that you love Miles Davis. Yes, Absolutely. Miles, <laughs> I love Miles. He, As you know, me, we always was, like to end with a quote. He was just in this one comes from the late. You know, great one of the things and he favorite, said was: Miles Davis. "The hardest way to play is to audiences. Play like yourself. They like color. Like that's the know? hardest thing to do. Is to I just can go play out like there yourself. wearing a red suit, man. And I thought, and, and they'll, they'll say, say i So well, there's no. I think they should be educated. Trumpet player." You should always drop something them, on an audience. You go when you get in boom, front of an audience. Like the way you do. With you Miles. should
0: try to give like him I something. Miles. After all, yeah. up, there's Miles. They're there looking yeah, at you, that's Miles, right like this. And I mean, you since you're a professional, is he can be considered the? And I would, I would say yes, but I Once want again, to hear from you since this is you are Keith professional. From Black Men's would he be considered the gold piece. standard? He would be on the Mount Rushmore
1: of trumpet players, right? Oh, there's no mm-hmm. question to me. Yeah, the 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 Mount Rushmore of trumpet players would be. Louis Armstrong, Miles Davis,
0: Clifford Brown. Would he be on there?
1: Yeah, now, <laughs> maybe. I, yeah, okay. I, I mean Clifford Brown definitely, but I think like Louis, Miles, and um, oh, you just remember, Dizzy Gillespie.
0: Oh right, of course.
1: Right, Louis, Miles, Dizzy, and then it might be Clifford Brown or might be Freddie Hubbard because now we're getting into like anything. Demantics. Well, well, well like anything, as time goes, then you start to see more of it. You know, like you have the pioneers that come mm. that break again, break the seal, and then that brings someone else out. And then they break a seal that brings someone else out. And then a lot of people start coming up. Not gotcha. to be not to be little Clifford Brown or Freddie Hubbard or Lee Morgan or you know, like these brilliant yeah. Incredible playing Roy Hargrove was
0: great too. Even Roy
1: like, Hargrove. Oh yeah. my God. I mean, there's just yeah. so many. Yeah, there's so okay. many. But those three to me would be like the ones that really um really kind of were the pioneers. You know, so um yeah, it's uh Miles Davis. Yeah, uh, he's, okay. he's 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 my man. He's <laughs> okay. my main my number one. Player.
0: And what would your song what would the song be?
1: That I like to play? Yeah. Oh, see, that's very tough. Right now, okay, well, let me just tell you what I'm working on right now. Okay. I go through Spurt. There's a, a Benny Golson tune called Along Came Betty. You should check that out. Okay. That is just a tune that has just really been, I've just been really dealing with that, really shedding it, really practicing it a lot. Um, So that's, you know, I really like to play that. The chords change a lot, so it's got, got a lot of stuff to do. Okay. But um, yeah, it's tough for me to, Because I play so much stuff and I like so much stuff, you know, like like I was just telling you, like one of the things I'm working on right now is the piccolo trumpet solo from Penny Lane. Okay, you know, like that's tough, and that was this trumpet player from from I think he was from London Philharmonic back in the day. Okay, and uh, the Beatles.
0: That um, is a tough, yeah, that is tough. And it's even though it's only a short period of time. That's, yeah, that's yeah, but it's a
1: tough little thing. So I'm okay. like working on that. So I can, I'm I, I gotta play that soon. And so I'm really been kind of oh, digging nice. into that. Well, the things that I really love to play, really, like I really love to play my compositions too. Right. right? I mean, because I'm writing them and it's like to me, like the uh, the amazing feeling of writing a piece and then hearing it like play okay. and, and the musicians are like giving their heart to it it's like there's a fantastic feeling to just have that that denouement of from paper to being out pictured. right it's really fantastic when i write pieces i really like the musicians to be creative so um so i really write them kind of a skeleton a lot of times sometimes like certain things i really want them to play specific things but mm-hmm. then i always open it up so it's like a skeleton so it's like here's where you start from now you just go off just play what feels good to you okay here. oh nice you know and then it and then it just morphs and it becomes a thing it that's really steeped in the moment you know like just right in the moment that's what it is the next time we play it it might be completely different you know
0: okay great. so i
1: really like that with my jazz trio i really like to allow things to just unfold and be what they are
0: nice nice so a couple more things so what are you what are your future plans with her uh, city trumpets where do you where do you see it going
1: well right now um i want to grow the program i want to we have one location right now for Herb City Trumpets. I want to grow it to two or three different locations. I got a couple teachers that I'm trying to groom to to be able to teach it. Uh, I have a specific method that I use um, to teach trumpet players. Uh, one of the things about black players is that your lips are fuller, right? And so right. And so on a trumpet, which, you know, like on a trumpet, it's a smaller mouthpiece. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times teachers, when they see a, a black player playing the trumpet and they see those bigger lips, the first thing they do is say, here, take a trombone because the trombone mouthpiece is wider. Wow. I did right? not realize
0: that. Really? Yes.
1: A lot of times. And that's. That is not necessary because there is actually a method that you can use with fuller lips to play trumpet so that. And it is an advantage when you have fuller lips, you have like a bigger muscle, bigger, you know, more meat, more muscle to deal with. So that's one of the things that I'm teaching these kids. And that's I am really amazed at how fast these kids are taking to the horn. So I'm going to have some 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 teachers learn this method, learn everything so that we can have satellite Herb City Trumpets mm. around Rochester. I want to just start. I want to get up. Wait, Like I said, we have like 15. I want to get it up to 50 or more kids. And then people are like, well, you know, it could be Herb City Trumpets Cincinnati. It right. could be Herb City Trumpets Buffalo. It could be right. Herb City Trumpets Chicago. You know, like Right, because this
0: is no one, no one has this like this in the country. It's exactly usually focus on other instruments.
1: Exactly. Wow. Exactly. I and didn't even know there was a method
0: either. If I might still be playing if I knew there was a method for the <laughs> That's what I'm
1: saying. Yeah. Like I and I actually had a teacher say to me once, who taught you how to curve your lips in like that? And I was like, I don't know, just naturally did it. And and when you look at some some people, you know, like they have thinner lips, like their top lip, they have no top lip at all. You know, like like when you think of like, like a, And so that mouthpiece just sits on there. No problem. But someone with fuller lips, you have to adjust your lips. And if you don't know how to tell that kid to adjust them, then they're starting the trumpet from a from a deficit because their lip is all in the wrong place
0: what What does that curving in your lips do for you?
1: What it does is it's like it's like if you take your muscle of your arm and if you're gonna lift something, you're not gonna stretch your arm all the way straight. You're gonna curve your arm and like kind of do like a a curve like a curl, you know. And so you're you're bunching your lip in. It gets all the muscles in there to the mouthpiece, which allows you to have more control, more power. Mm. more range, better tone. There's a there's a lot of things that just naturally can come to you. Amazing. And so and so, yeah, this is something that my students are really taking hold of. It's really fantastic. And the thing about it is is my it's my awareness of this as right. well. You know, like having a room full of 15 black boys playing trumpet, right. Like, I have never done that before in my life. Like this is the first time I've ever taught this many black kids, and so like, yeah, I'm like, no, curvy lips, and do this. And I'm like, what are you doing? Sit down, boy. Get up. No, no come over here. Sit your right. behind down over here. You know, it's like it's I'm directing these kids like they're my sons, okay. you know, and they're taking to it. Right. You know, they're really taking to it. It's well, really in the, in,
0: in having a person of color that one that is a professional it carries a lot of weight because it's like he knows he he plays as opposed to um which i had just a band teacher that that just will say well you know fix your tone and you don't know what they're talking about or because your lips are fuller they don't they don't know that you need to curve your lips in in order to to correct the problem so that that's fascinating that's awesome i think i think it's great
1: when I was in sixth grade, um, I remember it was me and this other guy, Jerry, and the band director said to us, "You know, do you guys want switch, to uh, switch to baritone? Because baritone uses the same mouthpiece as trombone." Okay. And um, and Jerry was kind of like, "Okay, I'll switch," you know. And I was just like, "No, I do not want to switch. I want to stay on trumpet." And then Jerry, he fell off. He he you know, went play baritone and then fell off baritone. And I don't even know where he is right now, right. but, um, but I stayed on trumpet and, then, and I'm still here today. So yeah, it's right. a real, it's a real thing. That's awesome. Thing.
0: Yeah. And so, yeah, like, I uh, thank you for that and how I like to end the show, because it's not always about what you do and how you're helping, but a lot of times we don't plug in to our feelings. And and support that. So I always like to ask this question. You know, what is on your mind right now uh, as a black man?
1: Well, for me, it is like um, I was with a friend of mine, a white guy, and we were going to um, we were going to we were we were going to look at cars. I was going to buy a car, and it was after hours at the um, at the car dealership. And I was just like, oh, it's after hours. We, you know, we're not going to go in the back and look at cars. And he was like, no, man, let's go back there. We can go look at cars. You know, I'm like, man, it's, it's closed. We're not going back there. He's like, no, man, we're going to go back there. And he was like, what could happen to us? Like, What could, what could they do to us? We're just going to be looking at cars. And I was like, they can do a lot to us. <laughs> you know, I'm a black man. Right. You're a white man. You know, six four black
0: man man at that
1: exactly right. Like I'm, I'm not going back there. You know, and he was like, "There's nothing they can do to us, man. Like let's go. We're just going to go back there." And I was just kind of like, "Okay, like there is a real difference between being black and white in this country," and I am starting to take off the shackles there were shackles put on us and those shackles have been put on us and we have now held those shackles now the country black people are starting to wake up and take those shackles off why should we get less pay You know, why should we be killed by police? You know, and so I'm finding in myself where I am holding on to the shackles, where I just won't do it because I haven't been allowed to. And so I'm not even trying to do it. You know what I'm, you understand what I'm saying? Uh Like, so I'm really dealing with, where, and this has nothing, I mean, what well, it has to do with history, you know, with, like, with the way that Black men have been held down for so long. Right. But now, we're, we don't need to be held down like that. And things are changing. But now that things are changing, it's like, where am I holding myself back when that shackle is actually gone?
0: Wow, that's
1: powerful. You know, so it, and it, and it, and it, the story that the story that it is is this: Who, of uh, an old friend of mine told me this. He was like, when an elephant is a baby, they chain it to a tree. So, and that elephant can't move, like it can't move. It tries to get away, but it can't. All right. Then, when the elephant is an adult, they don't have to chain it. All they have to do is put a rope around it. And the elephant won't break that rope. When the elephant is strong enough to break the rope, move the tree, you know, it's strong enough to leave when it wants to, but it was shackled as a baby. So it now won't test that rope. And so for me, that's what's like, okay. Your rope is cut. What are you going to do? Wow.
0: Powerful stuff. Um, Well, Herb, I just want to thank you. This was a great uh, message um, today. Herb City Trumpets. Uh, If someone just wants to hear more about it or or take take a look, because you never know, there's maybe benefactors listening and want to just give, how would they um, how would they find uh, Herb City Trumpets?
1: Well, you can find us online um, Rock City Music, R-O-C or Rock Music, R-O-C Music uh, rockmusic.com and um, if you just look on that page, it'll say Herb City Trumpets. You can click on there, you can donate, you can send me a message um, and also on Instagram Herb City Trumpets on Instagram you can get a hold of me there But, um, yeah, man, just, I appreciate you having me on this show. I really do. It's, it's to be able to express these feelings out loud sometimes, not just writing them down in my journals and stuff, you know, (laughs) is, um, is really helpful to me as well. Thank you.
0: That's great. Yeah. I can't wait. And, you know, definitely if I get up to Rochester, I'm going to find you.
1: Come on, man.
0: If not at the Philharmonic at the jerk, at the jerk place.
1: (laughs) (laughs) For sure, we'll have some jerk you chicken know. together. All right. <laughs> Just man. make sure you watch for your part. That's okay, all right. <laughs> definitely, definitely.
0: Thank you, Herb, for a wonderful discussion. If you want to follow or support Herb City Trumpets, go to www.rocmusic.org. That's R O C music.org. They definitely could use your support so they can reach more kids in the Rochester area and beyond black men speak was written produced and edited by me keith dent so please share and subscribe to wherever you get your favorite podcasts i'd really appreciate it as you know we always like to end with a quote and this one comes from the late great and my favorite miles davis audiences they like color you know i can go out there wearing a red suit man and they'll say I'm out of sight. I think they should be educated. You should always drop something on an audience when you get in front of an audience. You should try to give them something. After all, they're there looking at you like this. You can't go out and give them nothing. Once again, this is Keith Den from Black Men Speak. Peace.